we've been on the subject of miracles. One of the reasons that we talked about that is one, Martha told me that I better talk about it or else. So I said, okay, I'll talk about it, Martha. Uh, that really wasn't quite the way it played out. But I thought, what a great topic, because as you know, if you know much about the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's packed full of miracles. It's packed full of all kinds of signs and wonders and amazing things that God does. And I also think that we need to, I'm talking to me too. First of all, I want you to know, I'm always on the journey with you, okay? I've often said I would love to have something in the scriptures that I've so mastered that I could just say, I don't need this, but you all really need to hear this, but I'm growing right along with you to build faith in our hearts for miracles because I suspect that everyone here could use a miracle or a sign or a wonder or something on occasion. And so it's nice to build our faith for those things since the Bible's full of those things. Now, you will notice that it's not like, you read the book of Acts and uh, it's, it's over a 40 year period of time. So sometimes I think we, we can read it in one setting easily. So you might read it and think, wow, that's all a day in the life of the apostles. Well, it really was 40 years. So there, there's signs, wonders, and miracles going on, but there may not have been 50 of them in a day. Although I will tell you this, I truly believe this from all the reading and testimonies I hear, that there are thousands of miracles going on every single day on planet Earth. Thousands that God's moving by his spirit and with his power and transforming lives and doing all kinds of incredible things. So we, we want to make sure we build faith for that. And as we look at signs, wonders, and miracles and and how this plays out, there, there's an interesting thing. As we look at our message, our Christian message, our Christian message has a problem. Now, I know sometimes, like I'll tell Darlene sometimes, I'll think, when God did this, I think that's a horrible idea. She'll say, well, you quit saying God had a horrible idea. Well, I think it was horrible. I know it wasn't until I figure it all out. But for instance, I think it's horrible that God's so pokey. Anybody else with me? You know, it's like, hey, you know, let's hurry up and get this done. I prayed 15 minutes ago. Why, why don't you have this fixed? And, and so they say about the Lord, he's the slowest person you've ever met for always being on time. And so I had to say, okay, I guess God's got this figured out. So there are some things that you may go, huh, I struggle with. But, but one of the problems with our message is, I want to talk about that for a moment because it deals with signs, wonders, and miracles, is and it's not a problem for God. And it's not a really problem for us once we figure it out. But, but there is a problem to this message. We'll, we'll see that. Let's look at, at 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, it tells us that the Jews demand signs. This is Paul. He's talking to the Corinthians. The Corinthians uh, would be a very avant-garde society. They were, they were on the cutting edge of, of all the cultural things that are going on. And you know, you know the culture is always you know, doing something that they think this is the end cool thing, but... God's word really should be, for us believers, the end cool thing. It's forever settled in heaven. The culture changes all the time, but, but Jesus doesn't. And it says the Jews demand a sign. They demand signs, and the Greeks look for wisdom. Now, so Jews want signs, wonders, miracles. Uh, Greeks want wisdom, philosophy, knowledge, all those things. Now, I want to give you a little breakdown on how this works. You, you have the Jewish realm, and the Jewish realm is different than the Gentile realm or the Greek realm. The Greeks are seeking knowledge. That's what they're focused on. And the Jews want signs, wonders, and miracles. And so then it goes on to say, but we preach Christ crucified. Now think about this. Now we'll see God's brilliance here in a moment, but as we think about this, we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews 
and foolishness to the Gentiles. This time he switches from Greeks to Gentiles, but it works. And so I'm reading this thing. That's a bad idea. God, you gave us a message that is, you know, foolish to the Gentiles or the Greeks and is a stumbling block to the Jews. Because the Jews, if you talk to them, say, here's the message of salvation. Here's the good news of Jesus. God clothed himself in a body and died for you. They say, that's crazy. Why would God clothe himself in a body, and he's the God of all the universe, and let the pagan Romans crucify him on a cross? That's a stumbling block to them. So you go to the Greek mindset, and you say, here's the, our message of the gospel. God clothed himself in a body and died for us. And they say, that's a bad plan. That's illogical. That doesn't make sense mentally. And so it's a, it's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Now, I want you to see how the world works. The, there's what's called a Western mindset and an Eastern mindset. And most of you might be familiar with that. But we, uh, people in the United States of America, would be considered a Western mindset. We have a Greek mindset. And so we're drawn very much, I am anyway, drawn very much to logic and facts and figures and, and all those things. We like that. And there's an Eastern mindset. The Eastern mindset engulfs most of Asia... Uh, the Arab countries, most of Africa, and they like signs, wonders, and miracles. In fact, the, if, if you want to convince, just naturally speaking, uh, a Greek mindset, it's not signs, wonders, and miracles. It's give me a rational defense of why I should believe. We make a, a presentation that's so intellectually strong that I cannot argue with it. That's the Greek-Gentile mindset, the Western mindset. The Eastern mindset says, quit talking me to death. Show me something that proves you are who you are. If you follow Jesus around the Bible, they're always asking him for signs, wonders, and miracles. And, you, you know, we read it and we think, wasn't this enough? Like maybe raising Lazarus would have been enough. Maybe feeding 5,000 with a few loaves and fish would have been enough. Maybe walking on water would have been enough. Maybe those would have been enough. They're always wanting more, more, more. And, of course, the Greeks always want more information, more information, more information. So we, we have this problem. So I'm reading this, I'm thinking, well, how does anyone get saved? Let me tell you how Paul says people get saved, which Paul wrote a big chunk of the New Testament and was taught and tutored by the resurrected Jesus. Okay, that's, that's pretty powerful. In the world, he was, he was uh, trained by, I think it's uh, Gamaliel, is how you say his name, I think, which was the premier Jewish teacher, and, and Paul was trained by him. But in the spirit, he was trained by the resurrected Jesus. How's that for a training? How's that for a, a, a professor? So he was trained by him. So Paul comes up with this thing, said, here's what I figured out. People are going to be saved through the foolishness of preaching. Isn't that a great idea? We go, no, that's not a great idea. They're going to be saved through the foolishness of preaching. When he talks about preaching, he's talking about the gospel of Jesus. Now, preaching and gospel are two very religious words. So we want to kind of untangle them a little bit so you can get a, a handle on this. Preaching, and some of your Bible translations where maybe the King James uses preach, yours might use proclaim, or another might use announce. Preaching is to proclaim something, to share something. So everybody's a preacher. And you may say, oh, no, 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 you're the preacher. We're not preachers. Don't give me that job. Yeah, you are preachers because preacher means to share something or to proclaim or announce something. So if you go to a restaurant that you really love, you'll 
friends and family and coworkers and classmates just, oh my goodness, I ate this place this past Friday. It was so good. You've got to try it. You know what you just did? You just preached. You just proclaimed. You just announced some information that was good news to you. Good news to you. Now, that's what the gospel means, good news. So if we make it less religious, it means to share or talk about the good news of Jesus. And Paul said, that's how people are going to be saved. And then he shows us something. He, he tells us that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, now catch this. I, I have to remind myself of this all the time. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, I want to do what I do as best I can. I hope that if you witness and share your faith, you want to do it as best you can. But the bottom line is, if we'll share our faith, it has, in, in that is a seed of power. In just the message of the gospel, there's a seed of power in it. And so power is wrapped up in the gospel. So if you share your faith a lot, and I hope you get comfortable doing that, there'll be times where you lead somebody to Christ, and you'll think, that was the worst presentation of, of the gospel I've ever heard, and I'm the one that gave it. And, and yet they get saved. Why? Because there's power in the gospel. And so let's, let's look at the next verse in Corinthians. And then it goes on to say, But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks... Now here's, here's the beautiful thing. This is where we start going, Okay, I'm starting to get it a little bit. Because the Jews demand a sign. And the Greeks want wisdom. And it says, To those who are called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So... Jesus satisfies both sides, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So as we start to understand this, it says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Now, this is just illustration purposes because this doesn't happen. But if God ever had a dumb idea, it would be smarter than the most brilliant idea any human being has ever had. If God had a dumb idea, it would make Einstein look like an infant. That's how incredible he is. And then it goes on to say, for the, fool, for, for the foolishness of God is wiser than, the, than human wisdom. And weakness, there's the flip side of it, because now we're talking about the power side. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So at God's weakest moment, if he had a weak moment, it would be more powerful than any strong man on planet Earth or anything that we've ever created. Now, if you ever watch some of these shows on TV, you know, modern miracles of war and stuff, you will be blown away by the power, the awesomeness of the power of weapons of destruction that human beings have created. And the Bible says at one point, he said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not worldly. Ours are mighty. I said, wow, you should have seen that show I saw the other day, God. And he would say, I did see it. In fact, I know every, and, and the power we have in Christ is more powerful than all the power of the world. So interesting. And then it goes on to explain to us that his wisdom and his power is found in Christ. And so do I want us to, to want signs, wonders, and miracles? Absolutely. Do I want us to want wisdom and knowledge and understanding? Absolutely. But the source of it is found in Jesus. Jesus is the source of that. So it's very easy that we can get our minds off of Jesus and just put it on, 
I just got to get smarter and sharper about all this stuff. And I, I just got to display power I have to have, but you, you don't have to have. Now, I'm for doing what we do well, but I want you to know that Jesus is the answer. He is both the power and the wisdom of God. So is the Christian message intellectually bankrupt? Of course not. Christianity was designed by God, the ultimate intellect in the universe. So it is intellectual. Paul will later talk to the Corinthians about, I speak a wisdom, it's just not the wisdom of this world or of the culture. I speak a wisdom from God. And so his wisdom is really awesome. So is, is God unable to perform signs, wonders, and miracles? Absolutely, uh, he can perform those things. He's the ultimate miracle worker. So he's the ultimate intellect, and he's the ultimate miracle worker, and is found in Jesus. But one thing that happens is when we experience miracles, if we're not careful, and that's probably not true of most of you who have gathered here today, but there's a lot around the Western world that miracles and signs and wonders, you know, are just foreign. Because when something's supernatural, it's not natural. And so we try to explain it away. So we try to explain it away naturally. And we don't know what to do sometimes with, with a supernatural move of God. Back many years ago, there's a couple that came to the church. They've gone on to be with Jesus since then. Uh, Marshall and Edith Acton, wonderful, beautiful couple. Marshall actually was in the Navy and was actually at Pearl Harbor at the bombing. And so he saw all kinds of stuff. And Edith had been diagnosed with leukemia, and so she had been struggling with that for a while. And she, a doctor's appointment and a vacation kind of merged together, and Marshall and Edith were going to go out of town. Well, at the doctor's appointment, they said, don't go out of town. You know, your leukemia is taking a turn towards the worse, and we don't want you far away till we do some more testing and figure out how we can approach this thing and help you. Well, Sunday at service, she gets prayer. And I remember there's several of us. I know I was there, Darlene was there, and others, so I'm not trying to steal your thunder if you prayed. I just don't remember. It's been too many years ago. And so she got prayer, and when she got prayer, Darlene told me after service, she said, when... When we prayed for her, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, I healed her. She said, but I felt real uncomfortable saying that. And, and we get it, don't we? We all feel that like, yeah, you know, is that really the Lord? And so Edith goes to the doctor to get some more tests because she wants to go out of town, but they've got to figure out how to quell and calm this leukemia. It's starting to rise up some more. And so they do all these tests on her, and they come back and say, you don't have leukemia. They said, they said, one of three things happened. Either we had an equipment malfunction. And by the way, she's had this for months. This isn't like, I, I could kind of get it if they did a test and thought she had it and then say, oh, I guess we didn't. Either our equipment malfunctioned or we diagnosed you wrong. That'd be a lawsuit today. You know, somebody, so you put me through months of believing I had leukemia and, and it wasn't. So, uh, or you just got better. Well, the third one was right. She just got better. But I believe it's because of prayer. The Lord touched her. The Lord touched her life. And I, and I know, you hear me say this, and the only thing I hate about saying this, I don't want to build unbelief, but we've prayed for people that went on to be with Jesus. I think they still won. And I really don't think that's a cop-out. I, I believe they still won. Uh, but even when that happens, 
I cannot shake this. Jesus said we should always pray and never give up. I, I might have told you this before, but there's somebody I've been praying for for a long time. And it's weird. you ever have a moment and you remember right where you were at? When you, oh, I remember that. So I remember right where I was at. It was a really glamorous place. I was right at the trash can, getting ready to throw something away at home. And I was thinking as I was walking over towards the trash can, I'm going to quit praying for this person. Now, I want to say this. It wasn't I'm disgusted or I don't see any change or I'm not going to waste my time. I just thought, you know, I prayed all the prayers I know to pray. I've done everything I know to do. I'm going to kind of take that person off the prayer list. And I just had that thought. And I started to throw something in the trash. And I felt in my heart the Lord say this. You should always pray and never give up. I'm going to keep praying for that person. I should always pray and never give up. Someone say, well, I don't know if that was the Lord or not. Well, it's the Bible, so I'm pretty comfortable that that was the Lord. Jesus taught them a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. The disciples were knuckleheads. They had all kinds of failures in their, their prayer ministry, but they were taught to keep praying and never give up. There was a guy who uh, ministered healing and many years ago. He, he got involved in church and he got saved, and they were preaching through the book of Acts. And, I mean, he's, he don't know nothing about God or anything except he's a new Christian. And so after service, he went to everybody and said, okay, when are we going to go do it? And they said, do what? That what we've been preaching about and talking about. Oh, we don't do it. We just talk about, celebrate it, learn about it. And No, they said, we don't do it? That was, that was odd to him. I thought Christians would go do it. I thought we'd go out and do it. And so then he became a minister. And then he started thinking, I, you know, man, Jesus is always healing people. So he said, I'm, I'm going to pray for sick people. And I don't remember the exact stats, but I remember the story many years ago. He prayed. He said for hundreds of people, as far as he knows, they got nothing. But he kept praying and kept praying. And then he started having breakthroughs and pockets of healing and, and became fairly well known for, for healing. Now, let me tell you this. You want to get more confused about this? He dies of a disease. You say, what's up with that? I have the answer for that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That kind of stuff confuses me. You pray for hundreds of people. Nobody gets anything. You start having what we would call success in praying for sick people, and they're getting healed with regularity, and then you die of something. I don't know. But I just say, keep praying for people. God said we ought to always pray and not give up. So today, I stole the title for this message from Lee Strobel's book, A Case for Miracles, and it's called Embarrassed by the Supernatural. Because I realize that those of us with a Western mindset who like rational thought, we don't know what to do with the supernatural. And God at times is unpredictable. I want to say this, this is mostly true, but not always true, and so I don't say it. Uh, people, people will say, well, well, God won't do anything you don't want because he's always a gentleman. God is not always a gentleman. Now, most of the time, that's true. But when I read through the Bible and see some of the stuff God had people do, I say, oh, that wasn't very gentlemanly, you know. But God wants you to do what he wants you to do. And so we get embarrassed by the supernatural unless we need a supernatural miracle. The little graphic represents the parting of the sea. You know, the people who might have been embarrassed, so they had an Eastern mindset, so they weren't embarrassed by signs, wonders, and miracles. They just saw signs, wonders, and miracles all through Egypt as, as, as God crushed all 10 of the main gods of Egypt and defeated them, I don't think they said, well, this, this parting of the Red Sea makes me feel uncomfortable. You know, I just, I'm embarrassed by that. They were happy to have it and walk through on dry ground to safety. And so when we need a miracle, 
we're much less likely to be embarrassed by a miracle. In fact, the church that we might have went to that felt kind of embarrassing to me, if they really believe in signs, wonders, and miracles, that's the church we find when we need a sign, wonder, or miracle. So I want to encourage us not to be embarrassed. And by the way, I stole that title from Lee Strobel, but he stole it from a guy named Roger Olson, who has a doctorate and teaches at Baylor University. He wrote a blog post called Embarrassed by the Supernatural. And so Lee Strobel saw that and he said, man, that... I've, I've done that before. I feel I felt that way before, embarrassed by the supernatural. Lee Strobel had a dream. And in the dream, he was just a young teenager. He had all these questions about life. And an angel appeared to him in a dream and told him, it was, it was like to the year, these many years, it'll all be clear to you. And he went on through life, became an atheist and a staunch atheist, and then had a life changed by Jesus, and it matched that date that the angel had told him in a dream. And by the way, according to Scripture, uh, people say, well, I want an angelic visitation. I- I'm, I'm not sure, you know. Got to have a strong heart for that. Every time somebody has an angelic visitation, you know what the angel always has to say? Fear not, because they're scared to death. They fall down as, as though dead. The angel says, fear not. But Joseph had visitations from angels in a dream. And they were totally valid. We don't say, well, that wasn't really real. That was just in a dream. But, but an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. An angel told him in a dream. And so uh, Lee Strobel, when he got saved, he left his job as an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune and took a job at a church at a 60% pay cut. And he was going through ordination And he thought, do I tell these people about my dream and what God told me? Because he was afraid, embarrassed. These people say, oh, my goodness, I thought Lee was an intellectual. I thought he was, you know, rational. He's had this dream of an angelic visitation. But he said he went ahead and told them, and they didn't reject it or look at him oddly. And he got ordained, and he's been in ministry for 30 or 40 years now. And But that's what struck a chord with him. We read this blog post from this doctorate. Uh, a professor, Dr. Roger Olson at Baylor University, and so he went to meet with him. Now, this guy has an incredible wide-angle lens of Christianity. Think about this. He, for his first 25 years, he was raised in a Pentecostal church. Now, he did not forsake Pentecostalism, like I don't believe that anymore, but life, he got a degree in, in Bible studies, and he got a, a job as a youth minister for a Presbyterian church. Now, I'm not picking on Presbyterians or Pentecostals. I'm just telling you a fact. They're very different churches. They're, the style of service, some of their theology, some of their beliefs is very different. So if you were raised in a Pentecostal church and went to a Presbyterian church, you would think, wake up, people. And then if you were raised in a Presbyterian church and went to a Pentecostal church, you'd say, what in the world is going on around here? And so I've always laughed because Crossroads was always somewhere in the middle, you know, and people would come visit. And if they were from a vibrant Pentecostal background, they would come visit and say, I heard this church was alive. This was it. And if they're raised in a, a very sedate church, they'd come and go, oh, man, I was afraid they were going to get out the snakes in that service, you know, <laughs> really nervous. So kind of kind of there in the middle. And, um, but we only, we only do snakes on special services. So um, for those watching online, we do not actually do snakes at all. I'm not real fond of handling snakes, so uh, that's never going to be part of my Bible doctrine. So anyway, 
he goes and meets with this guy. He's been raised Pentecostal. He uh, youth minister for a while in a Presbyterian church. He ends up being a professor at Oral Roberts University for a while. Then he you know, keeps getting these degrees, and then he ends up as a professor of theological studies at Baylor University. Well, he's got, that's a pretty wide-angle lens at the Christian world. And so Lee Strobel's talking to him about some things, and he said, why do you think we're embarrassed by the supernatural, like your article said. He said, I think we're embarrassed by the supernatural because we want respectability. We want respectability. And God's unpredictable. Sometimes he does wild things. And we got, it just makes us feel uncomfortable. And he said, and by the way, we're not, you know, unaware of how Hollywood often and the culture often portrays, you know, the Christian world. I mean, uh, every televangelist is a money-grubbing, you know, uh, crook and and um, you got these over hyper uh, emotional evangelists out there, and then you got those who are always, you know, hawking some snake oil or something that God told them to sell. And so we think, oh man, so we want our neighbors say, we're nothing like that. So we like distance ourselves from anything like that. But a high percentage of those people are really involved in signs, wonders, and miracles, even if they're fake. So we think, well, we don't want to be associated with, you know, hucksters and fakes and charlatans and. P.T. Barnum kind of people. We, we, we want to be respectable. But there's a truth that signs, wonders, and miracles are real. And that God does do them. And we all know the saying. We've said it before and heard it a million times. We have to be very careful not to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Right. You have heard that before, haven't you? Like two of you were going, yeah, what's he talking about? Okay. So, yeah, baby with the bathwater. Because there's truth and there's reality in those things. So as they're interviewing and talking, he said, um, your class, Strobel's talking to Professor Olson, said, your class draws people from all over the world. He said, what did the Asian culture and the African culture, who are familiar with the supernatural, more comfortable with it, what did they think about Christianity in the United States of America? He said, well, you have to press them because they're very polite. But if you press them, they will say this, this saddens my heart. They say the Christianity in the United States is not the Christianity we experience. I thought, oh my goodness. He said, our Christianity is full of signs and wonders and miracles and spiritual warfare and, and all kinds of things are going on. There's a spiritual dynamic in our faith and in our churches and in our life and in our world. And then we come over here and it's just, what's going on? And he said they credit that to our, our prosperity uh, our materialism, our intellectualism, all that. Because so many times, we got plan A, B, C, and D before we even have to call on God. Because we're so prosperous, we have so many avenues of things we can do that we don't even have to call upon God. A lot of these places around the world, it's God or nothing. It's God or, or it's done for. And they go after God. So our prosperity, our individualism, our materialism. See, we've got to be very careful. This is the world we live in. This is the world you and I live in. We have to be very careful that it doesn't crush out the things of God. You know, the, the scripture says this about the word. It, said, it says that the cares of this world, I don't even have to ask. Anybody got some cares in their life? Sure. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, if you've never thought this, if I just had more money, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things. 
man, we're the most prolific, wanting people in the world. That's how somebody, they were unemployed. Somebody who knew them said, there's Amazon boxes showing up every day on their doorstep. So available there, just they want more and more and more and more. It says those things choke out the word and make it unfruitful. See, I, I want to deal with another fallacy. God's word always works for God. It doesn't mean it will always work for you. Well, why not? Because the Bible says the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things come in and choke out the word and make it unfruitful. The word of God wants to be fruitful. The word of God's seeded with fruitfulness. But we have to become soil where we say, hold it, i got to be careful that the cares of this life, the lust of other things, the deceitfulness of riches doesn't make my soil so hardened that the word of God can't penetrate and be fruitful. Sometimes we're concerned about the spiritual and the supernatural because I've been like this, we're afraid to fail. I mean, somebody walks up and you go, wow, they, they don't look very healthy. Uh, hopefully they'll go to that prayer line over there because what if I pray for them and it doesn't work? What if you pray for somebody and they don't get what you ask for? What if? Jesus taught them this parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. You keep on praying. Well, but why? I don't, I don't have the whys for that. There was a, a guy in our church, Vince Cole was his name. Vince was sick and sick unto death. Several of us went over to his house, and he was in a hospital bed, gray and ashen, had what we call the death rattle. And I, were you guys there at that particular time? And I know Darlene was, and, 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 uh, and Larry Schreier was there, and Julie, and several, several of us there. I mean, I've been enough bedsides. In, in the home I was raised in, we kept people in our home until they died. If it, unless it was physically impossible for us to care for them, my parents had upstairs in the closet a hospital bed. And so if anybody was going out, down would come the hospital bed. My parents would set up the room for them. They would go upstairs and take one of the rooms, and we would nurse people till they died. So I've been around a lot of dying people. As a pastor, you're around a lot of dying people. Vince was dying. Now, to let you know what a man of faith I am, as we gathered to pray, I went, he's dying. I thought, oh, maybe we should just pray he goes peacefully. But everybody else was faith-filled, prayed for him. And I'm telling you, he got gloriously healed. I'm telling you, gloriously healed. We had a, a very intellectual, skeptical, true believer, though, in the church who saw Vince and said, I cannot deny that is a miracle. So Vince goes out, and he's getting healthy. He's mowing his lawn one day. I mean, this is a guy who's on his deathbed. I, I, I'm not joking about that. And he's mowing the lawn. He's, he mows the neighbor's lawn. He's feeling so good. He goes out visiting the sick with Larry Schreier one day, and they come back home. And he says, man, he said, Larry, that was such a great time. He said, next time you go out visiting people or praying for people, he said, I, I want to go with you. He goes into his home and dies. 
Why? I don't know. I've asked God several times about that. Why? Why? I blamed it on Larry, but uh, that's just because I love Larry, and he went on to be with the Lord too. So, But I was like, what in the world? But you know what? I'm going to keep praying and never give up. I'm going to keep praying. That was the time we prayed for somebody, and God did a miraculous thing, and he went on to be with Jesus, which I have no doubt about that he don't mind. He's happy to be with Jesus. Vince is happy to be in the presence of the Lord. But those things just are amazing. Olson talks about some things. He says mother died of, she got rheumatic fever and got a rheumatic heart, and I guess that's real common from what I studied. And uh, she died. And then later, as a kid, he got rheumatic fever, and he was in and out of the hospital for three months. And the church prayed for him, and he got healed. And he goes to the doctor every year for a checkup. I imagine he's probably, this guy's probably about my age right now. And they always tell him, your heart's healthy. And he says, the doctor says every time, you don't have a rheumatic heart. They even call it a rheumatic heart because it ruins the valves, especially to your heart and everything else. He does not have that. He believes he was totally healed by the Lord, and I do too. He said he was in a, um, one of his church services, one of his Pentecostal services as a kid, and a family got up to testify, and they'd been driving down the road at highway speeds when one of the little kids opened the door and fell out. Now, if you were raised in my generation, we didn't seatbelt nothing. We didn't tie nothing down. I mean, you're always falling or flying back in that day. Something's going on. I don't know if you remember this. We had a, we had a car, a Mercury Montego, that was so big it could seat four adults in the back. I mean, seriously, if you were homeless, you'd look for this car to live in because you'd have a front room, a living room. The trunk could hold a family. And you would see people, kids, sleeping in the back windows. Does everybody, anybody remember that? Yeah, sleeping in the back. Did any of y'all ever sleep in a back window? Okay, yeah. Crazy people, yeah. That's the world. That, that's the world, in case you're wondering, younger person say, how would somebody fall out of a car with seatbelts on, strapped in, helmets? And No, we, <laughs> no, we didn't have all that back then. So the, the family stops, turns around quickly, fearful that the kid's dead or seriously messed up. You just don't, unlike Hollywood, you don't fall out of a car on highway going 55, 60 mile an hour. Well, let me just tell you this. Back when I was a kid, highways were 65 miles an hour. Just wanted you to know that, if you kept it that slow. And so they turn around, they find their kid just standing along the road like this. And they said, what happened? And the kid said, you didn't see the man? What man? The man that caught me. When I fell out of a car, a man caught me and just said, yeah, amen. <laughs> amen. Oh, my goodness. Professor Olson saying, I totally believe, and we all believed, it was an angel that caught him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Professor Olson said that, now, now remind you, I forgot to tell you this. When he started going to Baylor University, he became an active member in uh, a Baptist church in Waco. So he's had Presbyterian and Pentecostal and Baptist and all this going on. So he's still today an active member in the local Baptist church. He said God spoke to him one time, and um, just in his heart, not audibly, this is uh, Professor Dr. Olson talking, he said, the Lord told him to do something they did not want to do. But he decided to obey and did it. And he doesn't give you any details because if you're like me, you go, well, what did you do? What did he say? He doesn't tell you anything. He just says, 
incredible, amazing things happened because he obeyed what was spoken to his heart. And Bill Hybels wrote a book about the whispers of God or something, and, and I told you this before, Bill Hybels said, that anytime I talk about God speaking to me or whatever, before I get off the stage, there's six people tell me, yeah, that's what axe murderers say. Every axe murderer says God told them to do it. Well, I'm going to resolve that for you real quickly. The word of God is the ultimate authority, okay? Because one of the other arguments is, well, if God speaks to you, why don't you just write new chapters in the Bible? Why don't you just keep making the Bible bigger? Well, we have the scripture, and God speaks to our hearts, and we line it up with scripture. So if I feel like somebody said, why don't you go, if I heard a voice that said, why don't you go axe murder your neighbor, I would say, hmm, you know, the Bible says not to murder people. So that wasn't the Lord. And so we use the word of God as our defining thing. One day I'm in high school, I'm sitting in church, Rugby United Brethren Church, much like a Methodist church, uh, except those crazy Methodists sprinkle, and we would not sprinkle. We baptize by immersion. Uh, the, uh, actually, that because I know you love all these details, uh, the church I was in actually joined the Methodist church years ago, but there's a bunch of diehards that said, we are not joining those people that sprinkle. We are going to keep baptism by immersion. And so they became the United Brethren in Christ. So in Rugby, Indiana, the metropolis of rugby, it's between uh, Hope and Hartsville, and if that helps you, uh, was very similar to the Methodist Church. And I was sitting there. We had a Sunday school class. Betty Summers taught it. God bless you, Betty Summers. She's teaching this class, and, and it's on hearing the voice of God. This is just a David C. Cook, you know, regular stuff churches do all over the place. And it said, well, there's three sources things could come from. It could come from, from your own thoughts. It could come from the devil, or it could come from God. And so I'm, I'm sitting there at the end of service just minding my own business, and the pastor is closed in prayer. Now, I don't know that any of you here are like this, but in our church, there was one particular family which will remain nameless because I love them and they're guilty. Uh, when the pastor is closing in prayer, gospel truth, pastor is closing in prayer, the dad's like, get on your coats, get this and that. So they were all ready to go. So since it said amen, they could head out the door. I was talking to them one day because I stopped by their house on the way home and they were sitting around doing nothing. I said, you dash out of the church. I figure you got a roast in the oven or something you got to attend to. You're just sitting here doing nothing. They, yep. So anyway, that's just a little side note. So I know none of you are like that, but I'm sitting there, and service is over. We've said amen. We've wrapped it up, and I look over, and I see uh, Teresa Lane sitting over there, who's a couple years younger than me in school, and as soon as I look at her, her something just in my heart, not an audible voice, said, go ask her if she knows Jesus as her Savior. Well, I just had a Sunday school class on how to hear the voice of God, so I said, well, let's run it through the test. Was that me? No, because... Frankly, I don't want to do it. I mean, I'm thinking she's been coming here for two years. She's a sweet girl. I'm sure she loves the Lord. I'm sure she's a Christian. It's probably going to be insulting to her for me to even ask the question. So I don't want to do it. Well, the next thing was, is it the devil? I didn't have to think too hard on that one. I don't know if you know that, but most likely the devil's not going to whisper to you, why don't you go ask somebody if they know Jesus? So I ruled that one out real quick. So I thought, ah, let's just take the chance. So I walk over to her and I said, um, Hey, Teresa, I said, I just felt like I need to ask you this. Have you ever given your heart to Jesus? Immediately, she burst into weeping. Went, okay, well, we must have struck a chord there. And uh, she began to cry and weep, and she said she had, and I prayed with her, and I thought, whew, I wish everybody's that easy to lead to the Lord Jesus. You know, just boom, totally ready. And I went, wow, that was God. So the word of God is our final answer. So if you think you hear something, 
you know, line it up with the Word of God as best you can. So, Olson is uh, Professor Olson's ending that. And he actually, uh, Lee Strobel says he took off his glasses and wiped his eyes, and because he told all these testimonies, he said, he said, I miss that. I miss that. We need to see the presence and power of God. I'm not teaching you some fantasy world where everything always works out perfect because it doesn't. I'm not telling you everybody we pray for gets healed. They don't. But I don't want to build your unbelief. I want to build your faith. And so I think of that, I think, we ought not ever be in a situation where you say, I missed that. It ought to be some part of our Christian faith and experience. And so finally, Strobel asked Olson, why do you think the church in the United States of America is missing? And he said, without hesitation, the book of Acts. The book of Acts. We don't believe the book of Acts. So we have to reread the book of Acts. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 2, 2 through 5. Paul says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There we go again. Now we know if you follow Paul around enough, he's talking about the crucifixion and resurrection. It all comes together for Paul. I came to you in a weakness and great fear and trembling. In other words, I did not come to you with man-made bravado. You know, I didn't come to you with, I'm God's man of power for the hour. No, I came to you in weakness and great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. In other words, he didn't get everything just down perfect as a human presentation, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. See, the Jews were always looking for signs and wonders and miracles. Even on the cross, they said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he's who he says he is, why don't he take himself down off the cross? We're not seeking after just signs and wonders for the sake of signs and wonders. But signs and wonders followed the church. The people who saw Jesus ascend into heaven in Acts chapter 4, they've been threatened to quit healing in Jesus' name, quit ministering in Jesus' name. And they say, Lord, give us courage and boldness so we might proclaim your word. So they're saying, we have to do what you tell us not to do. And then they say this line, you hear me say with some regularity, and stretch forth your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The resurrected Jesus still wanted to see in his followers people trusting for signs, wonders, and miracles. See, we need a revival in the miraculous, not just for the miraculous sake, but the power and wisdom of God is Jesus. So we need a revival in the miraculous. What can make the broken whole again? The power of Jesus. What can cure the incurable? Only the miracle working power of Jesus. Now, now you know we're not opposed to doctors or medicine or anything. I tell people, I want you healed no matter what it takes to get healed. But there are some things where the doctors say, we have nothing we can do for you. Who can do something? Jesus. Who can breathe life into sad and discouraged and, and broken, hopeless heart? The wisdom of God, the power of God. Jesus can. Who can make a way where there absolutely is no way. The God of the miraculous. The Red Sea. Pharaoh's army behind. Mountains on both sides. A sea ahead. Part the sea. You know, I just thought this just now. 
God's so limitless, he parted the sea. He could have parted a mountain. It didn't. He's, he's not limited. I mean, the sea makes more sense to us, although that's still out there, but it's the miraculous power of God. So I, I have a to-do for us this week, and, and by the way, I do these to-dos as well. The to-do is this. Read a chapter in the book of Acts every day. Every day. Be, count today that's seven by the time we get together next week. And I've got a Greek mindset. I'm always curious about stuff, so I actually found out. It will take you on average. And I know it's a commitment beyond belief. It will take you on average of five and a half minutes a day to do that. I know where you're going to find the time, how you're going to do it. The pastor just keeps pushing us. Uh, five and a half minutes. But I'm going to let you in on another little secret. There's a couple Bible programs that you can look at. And the, there's lots of them out there. These are just a couple I used. I have a slide for those Bible programs. BibleGateway.com is free. You can log in there. And there's dozens and dozens of translations. And I'm going to let you know something else. On most of those translations, you can click on this little thing. that looks like a speaker. And a very professional voice will come read to you the scriptures. I'll let you know another little secret. You don't have five and a half minutes? You can click on, read me that at 1.25 speed. Or 1.5 speed. And you can probably get that down to four minutes a day of reading scripture. And the U version's a great one for your smart tablet, phone, whatever. And most of those translations, you can click on a little speaker and it'll read it to you. You can follow along and read it to you. And I'll tell you, I'll promise you this. You do this, there's no reason why every one of us in here can't do it. I mean, if you don't have five and a half minutes, if you're too busy for that, you're too busy. And five and a half minutes, and I'll promise you this, because I know how the word of God works. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You listen to that word, follow along in your scripture, oh my goodness, faith will start rising up in your heart. You'll probably come back here and say, Pastor, when are we going to do the book of Acts? And I'll say, let's go do it. Everywhere, everywhere we go, let's do it. Let's allow the word of God to mold how we think and how we see things. And let's just dare believe that God's still in the supernatural miracle working business. Faith just might rise up in our hearts. just might rise up in our hearts and turn our lives around to where amazing, powerful things in the presence of God happen. See, I believe the church, the church according to Scripture is called the body of Christ. And so what Jesus was doing, we should be doing. We should not have somebody say, oh my goodness, what you all have is not what we have back home. We have where signs, wonders, miracles, God, power, warfare, things happen because we pray. Well, we're going to believe God for that. I want us to pray together. While we're praying, I want those who are going to serve communion to come forward. This is a miraculous, beautiful thing we're going to do here. So let's, let's lift up our hearts to the Lord. Lord, we come before you right now in prayer, asking that you take away our embarrassment of the supernatural. Father, that we not be ashamed. And Lord, we, we, we don't want to be any crazier than we already are, trusting you and believing for miracles, but we don't want to fall short of trusting you and believing you. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, lead us. Teach us. Build our faith. Help us to trust you. And Father, when we've done all we know to do and we say it did not work like I thought, Lord God, help us to continue to be people of prayer, to pray 
and never give up. We ask this in Jesus' name.